Grace, mercy, peace, and joy be unto you this day in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Guess what I want to talk about today? Joy. You got it. You know, Paul's letter to the Philippians is often called the epistle of joy because even the words joy or rejoice are found over a dozen times. And then it's that Philippians chapter 4 verse 4 that says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Get the idea that joy is a part of the Christian life? I know that Lutherans have a lot of joy, but let's be honest, many of them just need to inform their face of that reality, don't you think? <laughs> well, really, it's about the joy of Christ that resides in our hearts. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. <laughs> joy is so important. Let me get it across with this illustration. There are basically two kinds of people in this world, okay? The first one are the joy givers. Who are the joy givers in your life? You know, they lift you up. They gladden your heart. They see the good in things, and they see God at work in things. Maybe that person is sitting near you or next to you. If that's the case, would you look at them, and would you say, you give me joy? If there's a person there that gives you joy, you tell them that. That gives you joy just telling them, doesn't it? That's pretty awesome. Now, listen to my instructions very closely about this next part. Look at me. Do not look left or right, okay? Because there are also in life joy suckers. Look at me, look at me. <laughs> who are the joy suckers in your life? You know who they are. They think that criticism is a spiritual gift that God gives. They complain. They don't see the good or God at work in life. And somehow they suck the joy right out of you. And we know who they are. Which of them do you prefer? No wonder Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. So how are you doing with that one? It's not easy, is it? Because there's a lot of things that can rob you of your joy. What robs you of joy? It could be big things. It could be little things. It could be that, well, you feel like your spouse and your loved ones, they don't really treat you with respect and appreciation for all that you do for them. Or it could be that at the job or at school, you have overwhelming stress of trying to do all that needs to be done. Or maybe it's the smaller things. Maybe you're trying to hurry to work, you hit all the red lights, traffic's backed up. What's your irritability factor at that moment? We can lose our joy very, very quickly. So what robbed you of your joy? Now be careful, because notice that Paul did not say, rejoice in the Lord when others treat you the way you want them to treat you. He did not write, rejoice in the Lord when things go your way. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. And to make sure we understand that he means what he says, he says, again, I say, rejoice. In other words, what Paul is saying is this, don't let anything steal your joy. How do you do that? How can we do that? And here's the answer. We can't. That's part of the condition of our sinful nature, right? We're fallen. By, the biblical word for sin literally means that we miss the mark. 
we fall short of what God intends us to be. And so by our hard work and effort, I mean, you can, you can grit your teeth and decide, okay, I'm going to be joyful today, I'm going to be joyful today, and you will fail every time. So we can't do it. So how can you rejoice in the Lord always? Well, here it is. It's what Paul wrote in, first, in Philippians, rather, chapter 1, verse 6. He said this, God who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's God who is at work in you. He began the good work in you by bringing you to a new birth through baptism and giving you faith, and he continues to work in you. Now, how does he do that? Through the Word of God, by the power of the Spirit. When Paul penned these words, rejoice in the Lord always, yes, he wrote the words, but do you understand that this is breathed with life by the power of the Spirit? It is God's Word to us. That's what makes the Bible so unique, these writings. As Paul wrote in another place, 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, able to equip fully thoroughly the servant of God to do good works. It is God who's working in us that we might have joy. And hearing His Word is how He works in our lives through the power of the Spirit. Even as it says in Galatians, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. So we need to hear this Word and receive it. It's a number of years ago, about two and a half years ago, that Sue and I celebrated our 40th wedding anniversary. We decided we ought to do something really big, so we planned a trip to Europe. And we were going to meet dear friends of ours in Venice. And so here we are on our trip. We're headed to the airport, and I turn on the radio, and guess what? I hear a preacher preaching on joy. Matter of fact, on Philippians 4.4, to rejoice in the Lord always. And the title of his sermon don't let anything steal your joy. What, did you think I thought of that? No, I, I didn't steal that man's joy, but I did steal his sermon title because I thought that's a, good, that's a good sermon title. Well, this is planted in my heart. Understand, okay? So we fly off to Venice. Venice is quite unique, isn't it? You don't take a taxi cab. You take a water taxi. And we went to the place we stayed. We spent the night there. We looked at the city. And now it's time to go catch the train going to Rome. And we were told that the water taxi takes 10 minutes. You'll be at the train station. Don't worry about it. It's really easy. Well, we got all of our luggage. We went to the uh, dock where we were to get on the water taxi. And apparently we got on the wrong water taxi because it took us over 40 minutes to get to the train station. And now we're late and we're wondering, oh, no, we're going to make it. We got our luggage. We're running through the train station. We get to where the train is supposed to be. And guess what? There it was about 100 yards down the track leaving the station. We had bought those tickets months ago so that we could all sit together. And now we miss the train. Now, normally, I have to confess, in a situation like that, I would have complained I would have blamed, I would have done everything wrong, probably would have wounded the ones that I love. But I had had that word planted in my heart, and we were all standing there stunned. Nobody wanted to say anything because we realized we missed the train. And I looked at them and I said, I'm not going to let anything steal my joy. It's only money. We had to go and buy some more tickets. 
but we hung around, and we just enjoyed being together. My hope and my prayer for you today, the, what I want to see happen is that God works in you so that you won't let anything steal your joy. Now, I didn't say you had to be happy about everything, okay? There's a big difference between happiness and joy, isn't there? Happiness depends on what happens, okay? Have you noticed that? It's circumstantial. It's fleeting. It's temporary. If it doesn't rain on my golf game, I'm happy, okay? If it rains three times in a row on my golf game like it did last summer, I'm not happy, okay? We go up, we go down. We are always on this roller coaster. If you are building your life on happiness, then I guarantee you, you will be disappointed. Matter of fact, what was happening in Paul's life when he wrote the words, rejoice in the Lord always? We got a little glimpse in the reading earlier. You see, he's in prison. He is shackled to a Roman guard. Many scholars will tell you this is his second imprisonment where he had appealed to Caesar. And if that's the case, then not only is he in prison, but he's about to face Nero. Now, what was he arrested for? He had done no crime. He was arrested for one simple reason. He could not stop telling people about Jesus, that he is the Savior of the world and the Lord over all. Now, Nero didn't take kindly to this because Nero thought he was Lord. And so Nero hated Christians. He executed Christians. And no one had any doubt of what was going to happen to Paul in this situation. Not only was he in prison, but he would certainly be executed. Now, if you listed things that could rob you of joy, I think maybe imprisonment and now certain execution might be pretty high, right? That would rob you of your joy. And yet it's exactly in this circumstance that Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. How can he say that? Well, because he himself said it in his writing. Rejoice in the Lord. It's connected to the Lord. It says in Psalm 16, in your presence is the fullness of joy. If you understand who God is and that he's with you, that's what gives you joy. Matter of fact, you know what was on Paul's mind? He wrote it in Philippians chapter 2 as he thought about the Lord in whom he trusted. He wrote these words that Jesus, though he was God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in a human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what was on the heart and mind of Paul as he was in that prison. Jesus did the unthinkable. God became flesh. God died for you and me on a cross to take away our sin. He rose again, and he gives us eternal life. That was what Paul was focused on, and it was God who was giving him that great joy. It would have been easy for Paul to say, why, God, why is this happening to me? But he didn't. What made the difference? I'll tell you this. He knew beyond a doubt the love 
of God, the saving love of Jesus Christ. Here's what I want to tell you. God's love changes everything. Do you know indeed that he loves you, has forgiven you, that he did the unthinkable? And rather than allowing you to die in your sin, because the wages of sin is death, he, he paid the debt. I mean, we cannot fathom the price paid that God himself laid down his life, but he rose up again. He loves you. God's love changes everything. It even changes a why question to a what question. Because often we think, well, why God? Why is this happening to me? Why am I dealing with this sickness? Why have I lost a loved one? Why am I overlooked at the job and not given the promotion? Why, God? Why am I dealing with chronic pain? It'd be easy for us to do that, but when you know beyond the doubt God is for you, not against you, He loves you, your question changes. It goes from why to what. What are you up to, God? What is it that you're doing that I can't see right now? What is it that you have in mind for me? Now, here's why it's so important to understand that we shift over to the what are you doing, God, because you and I need to realize that this life is not about you and it's not about me. It's about God. And it's about God's love for all people. He wants all to be saved. Did you know that the gospel came to you? Not so you could just hang on to it. It came to you on the way to someone else. And God will do all kinds of things, even working through the pain in our life, the trial and difficulty, in order to let others know of his love. That's what Paul realized. He realized that God was at work. Matter of fact, here's what Paul wrote, Philippians 1 verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul's saying, look what God is doing. I'm asking, okay, what are you up to, God? You have a greater plan than my comfort, my success, and the ease of life. So let me get back to my train story. Because even if you miss your train, the question is, what are you up to, God? We had to buy more tickets. Luckily, a few hours later, we were able to buy tickets for a train. But being on the same day, we couldn't get our seats together. Now we were separated all throughout the train. I get on the train and I'm seated. There's a young man across from me. There's a, a woman over there and there's a woman next to me. And there's me. The young man never spoke to me. He probably spoke Italian. He had headphones on anyway. The two women spoke English. They were from England. And we started a conversation just finding out about each other. I found out that the one woman is a journalist. She also happened to be an atheist. The other woman happened to be an agnostic. Oh, yeah, she believed in God, but she didn't know, she didn't think you could ever know who he is. And then we start this conversation. They found out I was a Lutheran pastor. Oh, boy. All kinds of questions peppering me. Well, how can you believe God created the world? You really believe that? 
And I got to talk to them about God and His nature and who He is and what He's done and the sending of His Son. I got to talk about His love for each and every one of us, our purpose in life and where we're headed and the hope that we have in Jesus. And when I thought the conversation was done, they started asking me more questions. Two and a half hours out of a three-hour train ride, I'm talking to an atheist and an agnostic. I can't even read my book, okay? (laughs) When it hit me, what are you up to, God? Maybe this is all part of what God intended in the first place. I wish he had paid for the train tickets, but what are you up to, God? Maybe the Holy Spirit was planting some word into the life of these two women who did not know God, and I silently prayed for them. No matter what, I mean, what's the worst thing that can happen to you? That you would die Look what Paul wrote. He knew he was going to die, and he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's saying, I can't lose. I believe if you and I could just get five minutes in glory to see the beauty and majesty and power and, 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 and holiness and love of God in heaven just for five minutes, and then we come back here to finish our life, I think we'd live so differently. The things that worry us won't worry us. The things we're afraid of, we won't be afraid. The trials we go through, they're not going to defeat us. We're going to have joy no matter what. Now, get this. Do you know that that happened to Paul? He did get to see glory. Check it out. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul talks about a man. He's talking about himself that he was in heaven and saw God. No wonder he said, for me to live is Christ, but to die, that's even better. What in the world could possibly steal your joy? Joy comes from Jesus. So don't let anything steal your joy, we pray. Lord, as we have gathered here This morning, the truth is, there are many things in life that pull us down, they concern us, they overwhelm us. Lord, whatever anyone here is letting rob them of joy, my prayer is that would you help them define their life not by what happens, but they would define their life by their relationship with you, that by grace through faith, We are children of God. Lord, I pray that anyone who is letting fear or shame, they're letting perhaps words of harm spoken to them. It might even be parents years ago. Anyone who is struggling with their, just their identity, would you now, by the power of your Spirit, Show them Jesus, who even though he is God, he emptied himself. He poured out his life, and he rose up again. And this is a reality that one day, by faith in Jesus, we have the victory. So, Lord, I pray that we will not let anything steal our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.